welcome back to the Let's Call It Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. I'm Caitlin. I'm Peyton. And I'm Reba. And this season, we have been talking about the Wolves of Mercy Falls series by Maggie Steve Otter, aka the Shiver series. We are currently on the third book, the final book of the original trilogy, Forever. Ugh. That title, though. I hate it. I would love if it had the I in the middle. Infinite. Infinite. I would have loved that name a lot better than yeah. forever. I'm not going to talk about how it applies to the story. Yeah. I feel like she could have done better. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. First off, every book in this series has a different color of font and the color of the book. This color is red, which I, I liked. I like final. Red. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea. Reba. Reba has not finished it, so she has no idea what I may or may not be referring to. Does it look like I care if you spoil it? No. I'm not going to then. No, I know you won't. Not that you're going to be shocked. I'm also not going to spoil it for our lovely listeners. Yeah. They're more important to us than you are. They're so invested in this story. (laughs) But the original cover's really cute in the red. I liked it. Reba's got the new cover on hers, and it looks like a Harlequin romance. It's horrible. I mean, like, it's terrible. Yes, yes, it is. It's bad. Um, I've seen at least 75 other books with that looking. And that was one of the reasons that was what was trendy. It's not eye-catching. No, mm-hmm. it's 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 bland. It also <laughs> yeah. has that thing where the author's name is bigger than the title. Which yeah. sucks. I hate that. Yeah. It's always James Patterson, Stephen King. I feel like Catherine Coulter does that too. Author, like Jody Picoult, if that's one of them. There's another one. Yeah. You just see their name and all the books look similar. Mm-hmm. If I read those, I would have no idea who wrote them. I'm trying to think of who you're talking about. There's one that like... Yeah, there's a few where... There's an Anne of some sort. Can I just say it's I think, Yeah, there is. But I don't remember the full name. Forever also has the lovely colored font. Mm-hmm. It's red. It didn't really bother me. No. Which is shocking because I thought that would be the worst. The green was definitely the worst. The green was the worst. See, I, I like the green better. Mm-hmm. I think it... I wonder how people with, like, reading disabilities or, like, learning disabilities read these books. I don't know. So Forever came out in 2011. I'm so glad you did the research because I didn't. It is obviously the third book in this series. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not sure because there is a fourth book, which I don't know why they consider a fourth book and not just a spinoff. Well, when I look it up, every time I look it up, they say 3.5. Like, it's only a half of what. But it's not a novella length, I don't think. No, it's not. It's all right. It's like it's the a, Yeah, it's the same size as these. But they, it's, I guess, because it was kind of like a spinoff book. There's a series I think I was reading recently where it was like, it did the Star Wars thing, where it had mm-hmm. the original ones, and then it came out with a prequel, and it completely, in this case, messed up the order. Yeah. And I was like, what book am I on? Like, which number book am I on? Which, I don't know, this one is, I like the idea of Sinner, I haven't read it, oh, um, but God. I think Sinner is a good, I don't think it was a cash grab. It's I still pretty bad. It's not what I like. Without spoiling this book, I think Maggie was writing forever mm-hmm. and i don't know if at this point she realized she was gonna do a spinoff but i feel like she realized there was more of a story to tell yeah that's what i was gonna say i think the characters in it had unfinished business to her yeah even if i haven't finished reading the book i know that would happen yeah <laughs> so speaking of you know this being the third book whenever um i had feelings on the last book of series um which i never read usually and the last episodes of TV shows, which I never watch, usually 
usually. No. Yeah, no, I don't either. Don't. <laughs> and I really hate endings. I mm-hmm. hate goodbyes, which is the main reason I'm, like, turned off by them. Mm-hmm. But also, I want them to do them justice. There's only one show I've ever done that to, and it was Bones. And not finished, yeah. I have trouble with endings, and I also, I, if I really like a show, I'm going to rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it, but I may not touch the last season. Oh, I think I it. Do. I think it took me uh, a good five years or so of loving The Office to finish the last. Same. Like it, and then I wouldn't even watch the last episode. Like the I couldn't. Ever to get through, which was due to multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's not the greatest one. But also, like, I didn't want to like leave the world. I didn't yeah. know the ending. A lot of times, like the shows I'm invested in, and also books, I get invested in and decide not to finish. A lot of times, I like never find out how it ends. Yeah, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, me too. Like, I don't and, get spoiled. And you know, like with this series, I never even picked up this book and i don't know i don't think i don't think any of us have i don't think i think what happened was is all all three of us were at shiver Mm -hmm. then linger came out and i think i like half read it if not because i didn't finish it and i don't know if you fully read it or not when it came out i don't think so i didn't read it until like two or three years later yeah Mm -hmm. so like that happened and then like i don't think any of us were like oh yeah we're so invested let's read the last one yeah yeah but also with like Twilight, because we're going to keep ringing up Twilight. Of course. That was in the zeitgeist, whereas this one wasn't. So we so we were, like, pressured to read those. Yeah. Well, y'all were. I had already finished them, which I shouldn't have, because that book was terrible. The last one. Breaking Dawn? Breaking Dawn was awful. There's some opinions. The only parts of the book I liked were all the, the points of view from Jacob. That was yeah. that was it. Yeah, because, I mean, the whole Renesmee thing was awful. The war was... Yeah, it, it was... It feels very... Not Twilight. It felt very disconnected from the other books. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, because it was originally a three-book deal, not a four-book deal. Yeah. Whereas this one, this last book, felt right in what they did. Oh, it's very equally connected to the other well, two. You think yeah. Twilight as the first three books are, like, sharing um bella and edward's love story whatever mm-hmm. and bella wanting to become a vampire and edward saying no and then it happens yeah in the fourth book it doesn't end after that <laughs> but also like it's still going but there's still like the drama and intrigue yeah which, oh wait i remember my other opinion about that book now is the only other thing i like that about that book was her introducing all the other vampires that were from different yeah, countries yeah, which is why yeah. i think i enjoyed it yeah that was the only reason that you can't fully say that stephanie meyer is a racist but still <laughs> um i'm having some issues with her as of late because we've just gotten the announcement about the the new book deal she's gotten and i'm pissed stay in tune for our episode on cash grab <laughs> reba sent me a tiktok about this current ca- cash grab and i think i sent an entire full length uh movie to my boyfriend like like videos of me just ranting and i'm like i know you don't care but (laughs) but i can't deal with this i mean i'm not a fan but just because i don't think that story would be interesting even without all the problems this show associated with it we'll get Mm -hmm. to that on cash grab day so forever is also from our four points of view that we had in linger Mm -hmm. which is race sam and Isabel, mm-hmm. and my opinions have not changed on who I'm interested in. Yeah. 
No shocker there. Nope. I think I'm just really sick of Grace and Sam's love story. No offense to them. We all love the build-up. <laughs> yeah, we do. Definitely. Which I'll talk about later in my current mm-hmm. obsession. But I'll love the build-up. Uh, but this one is a bit different because the prologue is actually from Shelby's point of view. Can I talk real quick about my beef with Shelby? Yes, sure. go ahead. Your name is Shelby. I probably don't like you. <laughs> Damn. One sentence only. It Damn. all started with a Cinderella story. <laughs> no, it started before that, but I'm not going to get into that because whatever. You would go but, on and on. But it was, you know, emphasized by my favorite movie, A Cinderella Story, in which the mean girl's name is Shelby. And I was like, ooh, I relate to this. Mm-hmm. And that's why whenever I hear or see that name, I like. It's only been 20 <laughs> years. We're going to call out all the names we hate. <laughs> On Cheryl. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Reva. Uh, Reva. Thanks. No, I'm kidding. Like, Reva? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if your name is Caitlin and you spell it wrong, I'm going to be with you. I am so weird. I'm so ticky about how, the, how a name is spelled. Hey, before we get started, let's do a quick summary of Shiver and Linger. Okay, so with Shiver, we had, we were introduced to two great characters. By some opinions, Sam and Grace, <laughs> who fell in love. Sam was a wolf and a werewolf. He was human at the time. He was a wolf. He went human, but they were trying to get him not to be a wolf anymore. He gets cured at the end. Cured. And mm. Olivia was turned into a wolf. Jack was a wolf, but he died. And we were brought the character Isabel and Cole had been turned into a wolf. The next book, we had Linger. Linger brought in two new perspectives, Isabel and Cole, who play big parts, who kind of love hate each other, um, lust each other. But Grace is dying, and Cole is doing random and Isabel is just trying to live with herself. Uh, Sam is panicking because Grace is dying, and Grace's family is awful. Yeah, they're trying to uh, keep them apart. And then Grace is actually dying, and Cole has the brilliant idea to turn her into a wolf to save her life. So we end Linger with Grace becoming a wolf and leaving, and Sam going back into the hospital bloody and saying he tried to stop her. And that's how we end Linger. And we pick it back up with forever. So this is what happens in forever. And stay tuned. I don't know what voice to do for Shelby. I'll just do my own. Hopefully I have enough bitchy energy to get it out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Stephanie. Got it. If your name is Stephanie. Stephanie. And your last name ends with Meyer. Peyton has a beef with you. <laughs> Write the same story over and over again. Over, <laughs> over and over and over again. Because you have no creativity. The prologue is from Shelby's point of view, if you've forgotten after that big, long tangent. <laughs> I can be so, so quiet. Haste ruins the silence. Impatience squanders the hunt. I take my time. I am silent as I move through the darkness. Dust hangs in the air of the nighttime wood. The moonlight makes constellations of the particles where it creeps through the branches overhead. The only sound is my breath, inhaled slowly through my hard, bared teeth. The pads of my feet are noiseless in the damp underbrush. My nostrils flare. I listen to the beat of my heart over the sound of the muttering gurgle of a nearby creek. A dry stick begins to pop under my foot. I pause. I wait. I go slowly. I take a long time to lift my paw from the stick. 
I'm thinking, quiet. My breath is cold over my incisors. I hear a live rushing sound nearby. It catches my attention and holds it. My stomach is tight and empty. I push farther into the darkness. My ears prick. The panicked animal is close by. A deer? A night insect feels a long moment with clicking sounds before I move again. My heart beats rapidly in between the clicks. How large is the animal? If it's injured, it won't matter that I am hunting alone. Something brushes my shoulder, soft, tender. I want to flinch. I want to turn and snap in between my teeth, but I'm too quiet. I freeze for a long, long moment. And then I turn my head to see what is still brushing my ear with a feather touch. It is something that I can't name, floating in the air, drifting in the breeze. It touches my ear again and again and again. My mind burns and bends, struggling to name it. Paper? I don't understand why it is there, hanging like a leaf in the branch, when it is not a leaf. It makes me uneasy beyond it scattering on the ground. There are items imbued with an unfamiliar, hostile smell. The skin of some dangerous animal shed and left behind. I shy away from them, lip curled. And there, suddenly, is my prey. Only it is not a deer. It is a girl, twisting in the dirt, hands gripping soil, whimpering. When the moonlight touches her, she's stark with white against the black ground. Fear ripples off of her. My nostrils are full of it, already uneasy. I feel the fur at the back of my neck prickle and rise. She is not a wolf, but she smells like one. I am so quiet. The girl doesn't see me coming. When she opens her eyes, I am right in front of her, my nose nearly touching her. She was panting soft, heated breaths unto my face. But when she sees me, they stop. We look at each other. Every second that her eyes stay on me, more fur raises along my neck and spine. Her fingers curl in the dirt. When she moves, she smells less wolf and more human. Danger hisses in my ears. I show my teeth. I ease backward. All I can think of is retreating, getting only trees around me, putting space between us. Suddenly, I remember the paper hanging in the tree and the shed skin of the ground. I feel fenced in. This strange girl is in front of me. That alien leaf behind me, my belly touches underbrush. As I crouch, tail tucked between my legs, my growl starts so slowly that I feel it on my tongue before I hear it. I am trapped between her and the things that smell like her. Moving in the branches, lying on the ground, the girl's eyes are on mine still, challenging me, holding me. I am her prisoner, and I cannot escape. When she screams, I kill her. I'm so glad you read that, because I just realized who that was. Like, just now, I realized who that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read this whole book. I know things happen, and I had an idea of what happened, but now I really know. Well, like, Oh, it takes you a long time to remember that this. Oh, or if you don't remember, yeah, all of the thoughts in my brain. What's the paper in the tree? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing because I was like, why, why paper? Why is it in the tree? I don't remember, but it reminds me of the paper cranes. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't remember reading that, and I didn't even like. I kind of want to say because we know that this is close to Isabel's house close-ish. So I kind of want to imagine it's like I was wondering as I was reading it if it was like targets mm, that would make sense yeah. yeah like some sort of marker and also i don't have a habit of doing but like comparing the different points of view mm-hmm. like how they sound because i'm just disgusted by shelby in general so yeah 
and uh, Shelby's point of view, I'm like, ew. Yeah. Well, that, but also it just sounds strange. Like her thought process is so weird. Is it more so like what you would think an animal sounding like? Yeah, but she's fully enveloped in the animal. And yeah. she's also one of those people that's into, like, first off, she's trauma, which everybody, like, every character we've had in their, we've gotten in their head, they're <laughs> fully yeah. traumatic. Yeah, trauma. Tra- All capitals. We'll go in, when we start hearing more about Shelby in these later chapters, I'll get into it more. Yeah. On why I think she's thinking this way. Because obviously, the person was not actually a threat to her. Also, like, I mean, now I understand why this is the prologue. You're like, why Shelby? Because... You know, the other prologues, uh, main character, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Why Shelby, someone we haven't really heard from. In an entire in, book. Yeah. <laughs> but she plays a big part in every book. She's the antagonist in every book other than Tom Culpepper. She's just annoying to me. <laughs> what did she do in Linger? I remember her not being in it at all. She pisses on things. She thinks that she's the main character, but... <laughs> I want to say Cole talked about her a little bit in Linger, and then... uh, Well, Cole talks about her, I know, in this one. I don't remember if she was in Linger too much. No, No, she wasn't. Olivia or AWOL. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I was like, she was there in book one. Coming back to her prologue and me being a f***ing idiot, (laughs) reading this and not realizing what's going on and the quote-unquote importance of it, we've been like, why are we hearing from Shelby? Yeah. Like... I, I would I would hear from Grace over this. <laughs> I didn't mind uh, it. <laughs> if your name is Grace, <laughs> you've got some beef. <laughs> I don't know. I I didn't mind it. I think it's interesting to think about bringing this person in. I see it because we're setting up. This is the yeah, setup for the last setup. book. Yeah, and this is like to get you into it which it didn't really do much for you no. because you couldn't no i mean i kept reading it didn't register see at this point <laughs> i'm stupid no it registered to me pretty quickly while you're reading it again see while i was reading it i was like the first time i read it i was like oh, is this grace but then I the next like, chapter well i pictured a little girl and so i was confused and i was like is this a flashback is she just going around killing people right now and honestly i hadn't read the rest of the book to see how much she would be involved so i didn't really read too much into it i just immediately assumed it was some teenager even if i didn't think it was grace even though that was a possibility disappearing yeah all right chapter one which is from as we were talking about grace's point of view but grace is a wolf grace's point of view i'd found myself human at the edge of boundary wood which edge i didn't know the woods were vast stretching for miles easily traveled as a wolf not so easy as a girl it was a warm pleasant day a great day by spring in minnesota standards if you weren't lost and naked that is so grace gets up to find herself surrounded by trash she had eaten as a wolf as she is waking up more and more she remembers her life as a human first she remembers the boy his face his yellow eyes holding his hand but she could not for the life of her remember his name she hears the squeal of tires which reminds her how close to civilization she is in the distance she sees a blue house she considers her options Go into the woods and hope she will turn back soon, which didn't seem likely. Or go to the blue house and ask for the occupant's help. This also doesn't seem like a good idea because there's no guarantee she will stay human. Sam, she thinks. His name suddenly came back to her, along with the million little things about him and the time they shared together. Then she remembers all the people in her human life. She remembers Grace Brisbane. I had forgotten all of it as a wolf, and I was going to forget it all again. 
Grace eyes some clothes hanging up to dry from a house close by. She spots a dress that might work at least long enough to get her back to civilization. She wrestles with the thought of stealing and how this person is probably poor, which is a leap, if you ask Peyton. <laughs> she eventually decides she will return the dress when she is done with it, which that's a long shot. <laughs> she steals the dress and later finds some shoes on another neighbor's porch. She starts walking, hoping to find a business or something to identify where she is. Then she will call Sam. I would like to add that what kind of shoes does she find? Clogs. We love clogs in here. I'm kidding. We don't. That's atrocious. <laughs> Bella, Bella Swanwood. Mm-hmm. And they're covered in dog <laughs> by yep. the way. Yeah, they are. They I, sure didn't, are. I didn't add that in the notes, but they're covered <laughs> in dog and that's why they're outside. Yep. So Grace is all wolfy, and then she's not wolfy. Thank God she's not wolfy this whole time. That'd be boring. She doesn't know how much time has passed. No, she has no idea what's going on. She barely knows her own name. So, like, we'll get to the point. Like, we were trying to figure out in last episode, I believe, what the time frame was between the books, and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out here in a minute. But yeah, is it as long for the other books? I don't know the time difference between books. It's different. It's it's not as long as I thought it was. Yeah, it's not. No, you were like a whole summer has passed. Yeah. No, just a few weeks. <laughs> a month or two. You were right, Caitlin. I was wrong, which is what she always loves no, to I hear. No, I think that was like yeah. the first book. It was like huge amounts of time. Yeah. And then it just kind of like dwindled each time we got further along in the story. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter two is from Isabel's point of view. So this is when we get our answer as to how long it has been because Isabel happens to count the time by Tuesdays. Honestly, same, except by Fridays. Of course, yeah. It's been seven weeks since Grace turned, six weeks since Isabel last spoke to Cole, and there are only three weeks left in school. So this is like late May. Yeah. They probably get out June around summertime. We learn the reason that Isabel counts by Tuesdays because those happen to be the worst days in her house. Her parents take her to group therapy on Wednesdays. Family therapy, right? Yeah. Yes. It's not like group therapy. They go to it as a group. I picture group therapy as like they're on a circle. And the day before their therapy session, just it's always the worst of the fighting that happens. Isabel debates what she should do so she has an excuse to leave her house. Tuesdays, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Tuesday. <laughs> she takes too long to decide, and her parents emerge at the same time. One comes from one end of the house, and the other comes <laughs> I in. I was like, oh, I hate it when that happens. Bracing herself for her parents' storm, she finds that they are actually in a good mood. Her dad is jovial. Isabel finds out that they are having a congressman over for dinner. Her dad is planning <laughs> to push to eliminate the protection of the wolves in Minnesota. Maybe you read that sort of out context and you adding that word in. It just says they are having a congressman for dinner. <laughs> They're eating Let's the congressman. Isabel's family are cannibals. <laughs> Honestly. Hot twist. Trophy room. There's human bodies there too. Yes. Clearly distressed by this news, Isabel leaves and calls Beck's house. Cole answers the phone, and when he hears Isabel's voice on the other end, he hangs <laughs> up. What the f*** is going on there? Yeah. I was so angry. I mean, at this point. I was also. just very confused. Most of this book is very confusing. Yeah. There's, there's a chapter towards the end where I was like, what the f*** is going on? And I never got my answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me trying to find uh the who was talking at one point, and I was like... <laughs> Your eyes <laughs> and he was like, he was like, it's Sam. And you're like, Sam. 
I, mean, I had to read it like, you're like, how do you know that? <laughs> like, I mean, it makes sense, but at the same time, it was like, okay, but who's comforting who in this moment? And I, me reading sex scenes, being like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> I just need y'all to know, Caitlin he caresses. I'm like, <laughs> I just needed y'all to know at that moment. Caitlin had her hand going up or going <laughs> under. <laughs> what is happening? I think that's a natural uh, what is happening movement. <laughs> but is it? Is that what you were doing? Chapter three. <laughs> Start off with Grace's point of view. Grace walks into a local small town establishment. I'm not, in, I'm still not entirely sure what establishment. I thought it was a gas station, like convenience store type It deal. sounds like a small town convenience store. And I think it's kind of like a gas station as well. And it's I thought like it, weird I, trucker stuff. Yeah, I also thought like there was some talk of like bait and tackle. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, there was bait and tackle stuff. Yeah, there. that's what threw me off. So it kind of sounds like a. It's one of those catch-all things yeah, for a, small it's towns. One of those. She asked well, for a phone, and while waiting, she overhears the men, some men talking about Tom Culpepper planning to kill the entire pack. When they give her the phone, she calls Sam and tells him where she is. She, he tells her he is on his way. I mean, finally, here's her. Oh, no. I mean, the store is called Ben's Fish and Tackle. So. Okay. Next, we get Sam's point of view. Sam talks about what it was like without Grace, which is exactly what you would imagine Sam saying about Grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's all I'm going to say. When she calls, he is in the middle of washing his car. He doesn't even bother to rinse off the suds. Instead, he just throws the phone in the passenger seat and leaves. He catches us up on what's been going on since Grace left. Every minute closer to her. In the back of my head, nagging concerns press. And the biggest ones involved Grace's parents. They were certain that I'd done something to her. I had something to do with her disappearance. I left. I couldn't see the other word. Y'all need to quit making fun of me in my notes. <laughs> I thank you. I appreciate it. I love you, and you are the light of my life. I'm sorry. (laughs) Every minute closer to her, in the back of my head, nagging concerns pressed. The biggest ones involved Grace's parents. They were certain that I'd had something to do with her disappearance since she'd fought them about me right before she shifted. In the two months that she'd been gone, the police had been out to search my car and question me. Grace's mother found excuses to walk by the bookstore when I was working, staring in the window while I pretended not to see. Articles about Grace's and Olivia's disappearances ran in the local paper, and they said everything about me, but not my name. Deep down, I knew that this, Grace is a wolf, her parents as enemies, me and Mercy Falls in this newly minted body, was a Gordian knot, impossible to untangle and lay straight. But surely, if I had Grace, it would work out. When he arrives at the gas station slash convenience store, I can't remember. <laughs> Bait and tackle Ben's shop. fish and tackle. <laughs> um, he finds a sundress and a pair of clogs. Grace turned back into a wolf before he could see her. It had been so much easier when I was a wolf. I f- hate you guys. I'm done. That's <laughs> all you can't read. It had been so much easier when I was a wolf. Sam finishes off the chapter. Anything to add there? <laughs> Reba needs to get her shit together. I had to turn off my microphone because I had to mentally take a minute. I'm really glad I got the Gordian Knot reference, honestly. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I was like, oh, I know what that is. I don't know how. I'm educated, I guess. Yeah, maybe a little. You have a higher degree than me, so. That means nothing. It honestly really does. <laughs> wow, Reba, thanks. <laughs> it's the- okay if I <laughs> say it. <laughs> I was talking about my own. I think she was talking about the fact that she's 
going in. As I took that personally. I think we're all real sensitive right now. I feel like every time we start off a new episode from a new book, we get really sensitive about things. Chapter four. Chapter four, Reba, get your shit together and start. Chapter four, Cole's point of view. Meanwhile, Cole has been getting used to the simple life while being a human. The only problem is he isn't sure how he feels about Isabel. She hasn't talked to him in so long, despite him calling her and leaving entertaining voicemails. Voicemail number one. Hi, Isabel Culpepper. I am lying in my bed, looking at the ceiling. I am mostly naked. I am thinking of your mother. Call me. (laughs) (laughs) This kept me reading. (laughs) Just because he's like, I'm thinking of your mother. Cole gets mad that she decided to call now, as in previously. Present. Yeah, in this present time. He leaves the house and explains that he's been trying to find answers after saving Grace. He is now apparently trying to catch a wolf in the backyard using (laughs) traps that he's made up. Love this chapter. (laughs) We love Cole. Voicemail number two. The first minute and 30 seconds of I've got to get a message to you by the Bee Gees. I had that at some point. I got to find it again. (laughs) And then voicemail number three. I'm bored. I need to be entertained. Sam is moping. I may kill him with his own guitar. It would give me something to do and also make him say something. Two birds with one stone. I find all these old expressions unnecessarily violent. Like, ring around the rosy? That's about the plague. Did you know? Of course you did. The plague is like your older cousin. (laughs) Hey, does Sam talk to you? He says Jack me. God, I'm bored. Call me. Cole makes some snares as we're talking about the wolf. We're, we're inserting voicemails here if you didn't get that. And while setting them up, he can't stop thinking about the phone call. Like, so this is just, okay. Cole is going through his head all the voicemails he's left and he's going, and like he's just stewing. As he's doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. He, and he's just stewing on Isabel finally calling. <laughs> After he's left uh, how many voicemails? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. After he's called her right, a million times. Yeah. Voicemail number four. Hotel California by the Eagles in its entirety with every instance of the word California replaced with Minnesota. Which I like because the Hotel California people say is talking about what hell's like. <laughs> Makes sense then. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, Minnesota is hell. Makes a lot of sense. Cole thinks at least he did good not sleeping with her. You know, no good deed goes unpunished. He desperately hopes Isabel is calling the house while he's away. <laughs> I've been there. Like, you're just like, throw your phone away and you're like going out and doing something. I hope you miss me. I hope you've called at least 20 million times since I've been out here. All right, voicemail number five. Hi, this is Cole St. Clair. Want to know two true things? One, you're never picking up this phone. Two, I'm never going to stop leaving long messages. It's like therapy. Gotta talk to someone. Hey, you know what I figured out today? Victor's dead. I figured it out yesterday, too. Every day, I figure it out again. I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel like there's no one I can... End of voicemail five. (laughs) Back to present day, Cole. He checks his multiple traps, finding no wolves, which then leads us to voicemail number six. So, yeah, I'm sorry. That last message went a little pear-shaped. You like that expression? Sam said it the other day. Hey, try this theory on for size. I think he's a dead British housewife reincarnated into a Beatles body. You know, I used to know this band that put on fake British accents for their shows. Boy, did they suck, aside from being assholes. I can't remember their name now. I'm either getting senile or I've done enough to my brain that stuff's falling out. Not so fair of me to make this one-sided, is it? I'm always talking about myself in these things. 
So how are you, Isabel Rosemary Culpepper? Smile lately? Hot Toddies. That was the name of the band. The Hot Toddies. Hot Toddy. So when Cole cuts himself on a snare, he debates whether he should just leave this life behind for the summer. He then remembers Grace's smile and Sam's trust in his, in his theory. The fact that he saved Grace's life has given him a new purpose. And this leads us to the last voicemail, which is voicemail number 20. I wish you'd answer. I love this chapter. I do I too. I love even when we're hearing it because it adds so much to Cole. Yeah. The fact that he cares. I also just love him. Oh, we're aware. I would answer that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but Isabel's going through her own shit right now. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. In this and then in like a few later chapters that I've read, it, it shocks me a little bit how much Cole does care, especially how quickly with not knowing Sam and Grace that long. It shocks me a little bit how much he does yeah. care. Well, last episode, or not last episode, but the last book, I was saying that Cole is a chaotic neutral character, but this book, we he shifts into a chaotic good character. He doesn't quite go cinnamon cinnamon roll. No, 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 no. It's still, you know, he's a chaos. he's a he's a hard soft cinnamon roll. Yes. <laughs> Ew. Gross. <laughs> Disgusting. Stale. Ucky. <laughs> we love him. He make, makes us more entertaining. At yes, least in the first yeah, few chapters. The, the humor was there and I was like, I mean, this is a book I was definitely like, Cole and Isabel chapters where you at? Well, see, that's the thing. That's why uh, the first book we were kind of like, we couldn't crack jokes or anything because there wasn't anything to laugh oh, about. No, it was yeah. all, all it, serious. Is it was that all- why Maggie, like, added Cole? Yes. We're gonna have some comic relief. That's how we can make the last book in this book kind of funny. Hey, chapter five is from Grace's point of view. I watched him. I lay in the damp underbrush, my tail tucked close to me. Sore and weary, but I couldn't seem to leave him behind. The light crept lower, gilding the bottom of the leaves around me, but still he remained. His shouts and the ferocity of my fascination made me shiver. I clamped my chin onto my front paws, laid my ears back against my head. The breeze carried his scent to me. I knew it. Everything in me knew it. I wanted to be found. I needed to bolt. His voice moved far away, and then closer, and then far again. At times, the boy was so far, I almost couldn't hear him. I half rose, thinking of the following. Then the birds would grow quieter as he approached again, and I would hurriedly crouch back into the leaves that hid me. Each pass was wider and wider, the space between his coming and going longer, and I only grew more anxious. Could I follow him? He came back again, after a long period of almost quiet. This time, the boy was so close that I could see him from where I lay, hidden and motionless. I thought for a moment that he saw me, but his expression stayed focused on some point beyond me. The shape of his eyes made my stomach turn uncertainly. Something inside me tugged and pulled, aching once again. He kept his hands around his mouth, called into the woods. If I stood, he would see me for certain. The force of wanting to be seen, of wanting to approach him, made me whine under my breath. I almost knew what he wanted. I almost knew. Grace? The word pierced me. The boy still didn't see me. He just tossed his voice out into the emptiness, waiting for a reply. I was too afraid. Instincts pinned me to the ground. Grace. The word echoed inside me, losing meaning with each repetition. He turned, head bowed, and picked his way slowly away from me, toward the slanted light and marked that in the marked edge of the woods. Something like panic rose up inside me. 
Grace. I was losing the shape of the word. I was losing something. I was lost. I... I stood up. If he turned, I was unmistakable now. A dark gray wolf against the black trees. I needed him to stay. If he stayed, maybe it would ease the terrible feeling inside me. The force of standing there, in plain sight, so close to him, made my legs quiver beneath me. All he had to do was turn around, but he didn't. He just kept walking, carrying the something that I'd lost with him. Carrying the meaning of the word, grace. Never knowing how close he'd been, and I remained silently watching him leave me behind. Oh. I find it fascinating that in wolf form, she wants him to find her, see her. Oh, yeah. This whole book, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Clearly a connection. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and he was doing the same thing when he was a wolf, even though he didn't know why. It's interesting, like, having it switched. Yeah, yeah. it is. Like, oh, she feels the same, but, like, in the same position. Mm-hmm. All right, chapter six is from Sam's point of view. Sam explains what living with Cole has been like. <laughs> totally chaotic. Reba would hate him. Caitlin had that highlighted um in my notes. Did you write that? Huh? Did you write that or you did wrote I? that? I wrote that. And I said, LOL, I'm crying. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I just saw that it was highlighted. I figured you did it. You got to remember, I wrote these out a while ago. Every CD case littering the floor. The cups are organized by size on the counter instead of in the cupboard. It's literally <laughs> me. <laughs> I see that face. I don't think you did any of that, though. Not while living with you. I knew better. <laughs> you walked into my room a few times. Remember the toilet paper that held the door open? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then I would need the toilet paper. My door would just never be <laughs> Oh, college life. When Sam arrives home, the music is so loud he can, dis- can distinctly hear it from outside. Sam doesn't plan on being there very long. He wonders if consent is still a thing, even as a wolf, because he's planning on drugging Grace and bringing her back with him. I mean, same. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is okay. I've been reading a lot of stuff that's stalkerish, so that might be why I'm like, okay. Sam witnesses Cole comings and goings through the house as the song from Cole's band blasts. He gathers his supplies only to find Cole as a wolf having a seizure with a depressed syringe by him while the song keeps playing. Sam does the only thing that he can think of doing. He calls Isabel. She answers by calling him Romulus. And telling him she thought of calling him concerning other matters. He tells her what is going on with Cole and she says she will be there soon. Not two minutes later, Cole, Isabel pulls up to the house, but Cole isn't breathing. Cole! Dun, dun, the fact dun. she was already on her way there. Yeah. So, at chapter seven, which is from Sam's point of view. So, Isabella arrives and calls a vet to ask what to do for a large dog having a seizure. They grab bags of frozen french fries to put in the small of the wolf's back. Sam thinks Cole is dead, but suddenly Cole springs back to life and turns back into a human. One of Narcotica's songs comes on and Cole laughs without humor. This whole event, plus Cole's attitude, pisses Isabel off and she says she's leaving. Cole grabs her ankle and tries to mimic her answering machine while slurring his words. She told Cole, next time, kill yourself outside. Let's clean up for Sam. Sam gets onto her, of course, but Cole seemed totally unaffected by the comment. Cole attempts to say what he was doing with the drugs, but he can't find the words. Isabel gathers her things, though Sam says she doesn't have to leave. She apologizes to Sam before slamming the door behind her so hard the cups on the counter shook. Honestly, same. Yeah. You're like, really? Really? You're going to leave me a million voicemails? Hang up on me. 
try and kill yourself. Over it. Over it. Isabel's over everyone at this stage, though. And she talks about later on a little bit more why this affected her. Mm -hmm. Chapter 8, Isabel's point of view. On her way back from Beck's house, Isabel speeds through the night, trying not to think of what would have happened if she had stayed. According to Isabel, she thought she had recovered from Cole and all the symptoms of Cole, but she is only in remission. He is like the plague. She also meant to tell Sam about her father. She tries to tell herself that her father did not have enough pool to get the protection on the wolves lifted. But even she doesn't fully believe that. Notice saying the flashing lights. Isabel realizes a cop is trying to pull her over. She does as she's supposed to do in that situation. It's a state trooper, so she believes she won't be let off with just a warning. He takes her information back to his car. Then he comes back and just gives her a warning on account of her being Tom Culpepper's daughter. Oh, to be an affluential white girl. And she's like, but, but, and he's like, have a good night, ma'am. Honestly, she was just pretty much like, I actually want the ticket. Like, give me the ticket. Like, so chapter nine begins with, or is only Sam's point of view. Sam plots out an intervention with Cole, making it seem like, seem more like it was a military campaign than a normal confrontation, <laughs> which makes sense because Sam's not a confrontational person. No. <laughs> he decides to create rules if Cole wants to continue living in the house. Isabel calls and tells him of her father's plans of exterminating the wolves. When Sam stays silent for a while, Isabel continues, Grace, shot through the head from 300 yards, trying to get some sort of response from the guy. By hitting him where it hurts, Grace possibly dying. And he says, it stung, but in the way that distant hypothetical horrors did, like disasters reported on the news. Isabel, what do you want from me? What I always want, she replied, for you to do something. Sam thinks about how much he misses Grace and Isabel gets annoyed with him for not replying. He apologizes and Isabel asks how Cole's doing. Sam asks Isabel if anything is going on between them. Isabel is evasive. While Sam is annoyed with her, he remembers that Isabel was the one who helped Grace when she was when he was a wolf around Christmas time. He asks again about Cole and and her and she says no but sam knows this means not at the moment he's got a lot to work through he's not good for anyone isabel he says isabel says neither were you and that's how the chapter ends yeah i mean it's pretty obvious that in hypothetical sam's like i i got nothing for you but then if it's like happening in the moment sam's like okay here's the plan yeah but Sam's also not a planner. He's yeah. a bell is very much one. And she's also younger than everybody else. So, like, she's not good at, like, actually putting forth, like, the actual solutions to the problem either. Because she doesn't know. I feel like she kind of could, though. She could, it's but just, she doesn't. She, she, does, she has the least experience yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. with wolves. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, she's going to ask Sam because she's like, hey... This has to do with you. And he's just standing there mm-hmm. looking at her. And she's like, bro, like, it has to do with you. Yeah. Like, I can't. I, I'm telling you. I'm doing my job by telling you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do this. I would be pissed off also in Sam's position. I probably wouldn't have the answers either. No. I also wouldn't just stand there. You can at least say, I don't know. Yeah. That would probably piss her off too. Yeah, yeah it would. But she'd get over that too. <laughs> she gets over this. Maybe. Clearly, her and Sam could never be. No. Clearly. We're going to get to that. is not there. We're going to get to that, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
chapter 10, which is from Cole's point of view, and it's the whole chapter. Back on the planet called New York, my father, Dr. George St. Clair, MD, PhD, Mensa, Inc., was a fan of the scientific process. He was a good mad scientist. He cared about the why. He cared about the how. Even when he didn't care about what it was doing to the subject, he cared about how you could state the formula to replicate the experiment. Me, I cared about results. I also cared very deeply about not being like my father in any way. In fact, most of of my life decisions were based around the philosophy of not being Dr. George St. Clair. So it was painful to have to agree with him on something so important to him, even if he'd never know about it. But when I opened my eyes, feeling like my insides had been pounded flat, the first thing I did was feel for the journal on the nightstand beside me. I had woken earlier, found myself alive on the living room floor, that was a surprise, and crawled to my bedroom to sleep or finish the process of dying. Now my limbs felt like they'd been assembled by a factory with lousy quality control. Squinting in gray light that could have been any time of day or night, I opened the journal up with fingers that felt like inanimate objects. I had to turn past pages of Beck's handwriting to get to my own, and then I wrote the date and copied the format I'd used on the days before. My handwriting on the phasing page was a bit sturdier than the letters I scratched down now. Epinephrine, pseudoephedrine, mix for method, intravenous injection, result, successful. Side effects, seizure. I closed the book and rested it on my chest. I'd pop the champagne over my discovery just as soon as I could stay awake. When progress stopped feeling so much like a disease, I closed my eyes again. Reba, I'm glad you read those sciencey words. Yes. I know. I would have been like, <laughs> I know. I was sitting here going, it's very fitting that the scientist of the group is the one who read this chapter. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, so this is never you figure out Cole did this. On purpose. Very much. I mean, you with a, with get a the gist of that. Thought. Like, very much like the sciencey stuff where he's journaling it Mm -hmm. logging it yes he's logging it (laughs) journal (laughs) he's recording it yeah yeah he's recording recording it in a journal so yeah and you're like oh this is like that was an experiment clearly Mm -hmm. which he did some experiments in the last book which involved him getting into a cold shower and then running around the house as a wolf Mm -hmm. and clearly he's been doing experiments now leaving the cups on the sink i don't know (laughs) Like the cups on the counter. If that's part of it, it probably wasn't. And their kitchen's no. like a meth lab. Uh, <laughs> I would. Oh, that's what I imagine. Those are, yeah. the, like, those are the two drugs that are used in making meth, so. He would know. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would know. You would know, too, wouldn't you? Yeah, Rita? I would. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 11 is from Grace's point of view. Grace explains learning how to be a wolf and the pack dynamic. She tells us the large black wolf we know to be Paul, is the obvious alpha. One look, he can send other members to their belly. The gray wolf is second in charge, Beck, who is almost as respected by the pack. Grace learns how to be dominant from them. From the lower members, she learns submission and actions to take when the higher members exert their authority. She goes on to discuss the two lowest-ranking wolves. Every day, the lowest wolf, a sickly thing with a runny eye, was reminded of his place. He was snapped at, pinned to the ground, forced to eat last. I thought that being the lowest would be bad, but there was something worse, being ignored. There was a white wolf who hovered on the edge of the pack. She was invisible. She wasn't invited into games, even by the gray-brown joker of the pack. He would even play with birds, and he wouldn't play with her. Uh, can I interrupt you to tell who I think these people are, even though they're not mentioned? Yeah. Who the wolves are. Okay, so I think uh, the sickly-looking one is Salem. Yeah, that's what I thought. And the joker is Ulrich? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> and we know who the white one is. I'm glad you remember the people, because I remember no one. Well, I only remember because <laughs> I looked through the notes recently. She was... 
a non-presence during hunts untrusted and ignored. But the pack's treatment of her wasn't entirely unjustified. Like me, she didn't know, seem to know how to speak the language of the pack. Or perhaps I was being too kind. It seemed like she didn't care to use what she knew. She had secrets in her eyes. The only time I saw her interact with another wolf was when she snarled at the gray wolf and he attacked her. I thought he would kill her. Grace decides not to be anything like the white wolf Shelby. She waits for the wolf with yellow eyes, wishing for him to join the pack again. She howls, not knowing how to find him. I was learning to survive as a wolf, but I hadn't yet learned how to live as one. Yeah, isn't that sad? She doesn't remember Sam, but she's like, I remember, I, I know there's a yellow wolf that I'm supposed to, and I want him here. I don't know if it's the way you wrote that first part that I read. I was like doing the song from Mean Girls where they're like introducing the plastics. <laughs> that wasn't that intentional. That is Gretchen Wieters. <laughs> <laughs> that Her is Paul so because it's full of secrets. <laughs> that is Paul. <laughs> that right over there is Beck. <laughs> and I find it interesting that uh, Shelby challenges Paul because we remember from the first book that she wanted to be the alpha female. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about during this one. So she's trying to assert dominance, but she is. It's kind of weird because she's not even the Omega at this point. She's just kind of. She's not really part of the pack. She's she's outcasted. She just does. Yeah, <laughs> she's rile up today. She's a rogue wolf. Yeah, I yeah. mean, not even a lone wolf. She's completely rogue. You no, know, if they would put her down, solve a lot of problems. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Chapter twelve is from Grace's point of view again. Grace find, finds herself back human, and at Isabel's back patio, she tries to open the back door, hoping that Isabel has forgotten to lock it again. She calls Isabel to tell her that she is at her house and helps herself to some of her clothes and a bagel in the process. When Isabel arrives, she finds Grace in her dad's trophy room. She sees Grace staring at the stuffed wolf and assures her that it was a wolf from Canada and not from Mercy Falls. Isabel then asks Grace if she is called Sam, and she says it went straight to voicemail. Isabel says she had left a message for him at his workplace. Then Isabel tells Grace about her father's plot to take out the wolves. Isabel is angered by the lack of reaction from Grace, much like the lack of reaction from Sam. Grace, however, tells her friend that she just she's just tired and has a lot to process. I mean, great, which makes sense. Isabel doesn't really Isabel doesn't really get how the whole wolf thing works, and it takes them a minute to like. It takes a toll on them. Yeah, it takes them a minute to like regain everything and process their brains are going well it's kind of like you like the moment they shift from a human to a wolf it's like a pause on your human memories and then when you turn back into a human it's like a rush of gaining everything back yeah so uh grace thinks for a minute and suggests moving them because tom culpepper will never stop isabel says that she loves that she came up with that in two minutes while sam and cole couldn't come up with it for two months Isabel's phone started ringing. It's Sam. He talks to Grace before she realizes she's shifting soon. She tells him she wants Coco when she's human again. At that point, Isabel tells Grace she needs to leave because the Culpeppers are home. She throws Grace into a room and locks the door. Isabel says she'll take care of it. You need to leave. Here. 
I'm gonna throw you into this room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what happened. She's yeah. like, "You need to go. You need to go." I also find it funny that the that Grace is just like chilling, just looking at the stuffed animals, eating, just chilling in the house. I mean, same. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're hungry. You ever have like a really rough day and you're like, oh, "Veg." All right, so the next chapter is chapter thirteen, which is Isabel's point of view. And keep in mind, during this part, like Grace is locked in wolf form in a room, and Isabel has to like do lots of gestures and make speak louder to uh, not let her parents know that she Grace is there. She keeps being put in these situations where she's housing wolves. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot for her. <laughs> and Isabel has like the most tropiest parts, <laughs> like, <laughs> like. Isabel's not a tropey person, like a tropey character, but like yeah. the situations that she's in. Yeah. Which is <laughs> another reason why I love it. Isabel. Ugh, I don't know. Isabel. 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 It's a bird. Walks into the trophy room. It's a bird. <laughs> We're dumb. It's late. Patricia. <laughs> Get it together. I'm trying. <laughs> Isabel's parents come bolting into the house looking disheveled and worried. They ask her why she hadn't answered her phone. She's obviously confused by their panic. Then they tell her that a girl's body was found on the property line. Isabel asks if they know who it is. They say it's too mangled to tell right now. Dun dun dun. And let's just say, okay, so we found out later that it's a few yards from Beck's property line. So how far does that stretch out? Like, who's who's gone out so far? Because it's... It's a far way. I don't know geography, so I have no idea what you're saying. Well, like... <laughs> I mean, I assumed he owned a huge piece of land, but I didn't know... I mean, yeah. I don't know how big it is in comparison to theirs. Because it takes... No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying whose property line is, like, huge, or is both of them so huge that it spans that far? Because Isabel... Wait, whose property line was the body found on? Well, they say, they say it was on... Uh, their property line. The Culpepper's? The Culpepper's, but yeah. then later it said that it's Do they a, live near each other? It's a few yards. Well, that's what I'm saying, because, like, in the last book, you know, Isabel, like, drives her car yeah, and, and then parks. parks a few miles away and runs, like, three miles to but their they house. They live next to each other. They don't live next to each other. And he's shocked when she's there two minutes later when she's like, I'll be on my way, I'm, or I'll be there in a second. Maybe there's, maybe it's like angled enough that there's a part of their properties that touch. Like they're not like really close to each other, but depending on how big of piece the land is for both of them, like there's maybe a corner of it that touches. Yeah. I think I'm not that concerned with it either. No, I'm just wondering if like, I'm, I'm sure Beck tried to buy up as much of Boundary Wood as he oh, could, yeah. but I wonder how much Tom has. And it, or if it's saying that Bex is just like super big property. I was just speculating. It's not important. Yeah, please. Yeah. I did not put that together, but that's no shock. Chapter four, Sam. Sam goes through a period of depression, realizing he has missed Grace once again. He states he hadn't had this happen since he was young. Beck was the one to help him through it then basically giving him the advice to put his sadness into empty boxes so he doesn't have to feel that way all the time. He starts to put his current problems into boxes. Tom Culpepper's plot, whole self-destruction, and Isabel's voice. The only thing he doesn't put in there was missing Grace. He has to keep that. First off, teaching a kid how to compartmentalize their feelings at a young age. Yeah. 
shove it aside, Sam. I don't know how healthy that is. Well, like, at that point, he was, like, completely helpless. Like, he would go into these states of, like, just sitting there. They need a wolfy therapist. And, like... Every supernatural book needs one of those, and they don't ever have one. And see, like, so he was feeling it constantly all the time. And I don't think Beck meant wrong by this. I think he was trying to get it. I think he was given, like, sound advice, sound advice that he has gone with. Obviously, like, Mm -hmm. think of Beck's past and his trauma with, like, Mm -hmm. losing his wife and everything and Mm -hmm. the things that he does compartmentalization is good to an, a certain extent as long as you're not completely going without yeah it, but like telling a eight-year-old this is what you do when you're sad you just shove it aside mm-hmm. maybe isn't the best advice because he's gonna take that and run with it yeah and he did but he also said i put these particular things in my empty boxes and i just thought about grace like and i'm keeping that that is what that is my first priority Mm-hmm. Which he says several times, like Grace is my priority, and then we'll move on to the next step. Yeah, he also put his Isabel's voice in a box because, and I think it says in there because I just couldn't deal with that right now. I th- yeah, I think it does say that. I love that. <laughs> I just can't deal with her voice right now. It echoes in his mind. <laughs> Deep in thought, Sam lays outside. That is until he hears. Check this out, Ringo. <laughs> I love this chapter. <laughs> and realizes Cole is now sitting right next to him holding a guitar. <laughs> it just pops out of nowhere. Like, check this out, Ringo. And Sam's like, ugh. Rather poorly, Cole plays the first few lines of Sam's Summer Girl song. I found your CD when I was going through your car. Starts to parody the next lines. I think I might have ended up a lot like you, Ringo. If I'd have been fed ice lattes from my mother's tits and had wolves reading me Victorian poetry for bedtime stories. <laughs> when he, I think I have to put the book down for a minute after that one. When he sees Sam's expression, he says, Oh, don't get your panties in a twist. They're untwisted, I replied. Have you been drinking? I believe, Cole says, that I've drunk everything in the house. So, no. Why were you in my car? Because you weren't. <laughs> and Cole continues to parody the song. <laughs> Sam explains he wrote the song before he even met Grace. Cole tells Sam he likes another song from the CD better, but Summer Girl is the only one he can kind of play. Days that he had 10 years of piano lessons, which Sam finds hard to believe, even though Cole played keyboard in a band, and not just any band, like a popular band. Yeah. A famous band. Cole teaches him how to play the guitar properly, which improves the sound tremendously. One chord, yes. I think <laughs> one he, chord. <laughs> yeah, it's just a D chord. I think uh, he w- It was just like the pressure. Like he wasn't putting enough pressure. D chord's hard. Cole tries to play a game where Sam finishes the words to each line in a made-up song. Sam debates if engaging in Cole's antics is a bad idea, considering Cole's drug-induced seizure the day before. But he gives in and plays for a few minutes before Cole asks if he will play the goodbye song. At first, Sam says no, but eventually he gives him. They go in and hear the phone ringing. Sam answers the phone only to hear Isabel saying that a girl's body was found in the woods, and he needs to turn on the damn TV. The news channel discusses the wolves and keeps mentioning the word extermination. Exterminate. 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 I get some Doctor Who references in there. Exterminate. Okay, chapter 15 is from Grace's point of view. This was an, was the nightmare. Everything around me was solid black. Not the shape-filled black fr- of my room at night, but the absolute deathless 
dark of a place with no light. Water spattered onto my bare skin, the driving sting of rain, and then the heavier splash of water dripping from somewhere overhead. All around me, I could hear the sound of the rain falling in the fo- in a forest. I was human. I had no idea where I was. Suddenly, light burst around me, crouched and shaking. I had just enough time to see a forked snake of lightning striking beyond the black branches above me, my wet and dirty fingers outstretched before me, and the purple ghost of tree trunks around me, then black. I waited. I knew it was coming, but I still wasn't prepared when the crack of thunder sounded like it came from somewhere inside me. It was so loud that I clapped my hands over my ears and ducked my head to my chest before the logical part of me took over. It was thunder. Thunder couldn't hurt me, but my heart was loud in my ears. I stood there in the blackness. It was so dark that it hurt and wrapped my arms around my body. Every instinct in me was telling me to find shelter to make myself safe. And then again, lightning, a flash of purple sky, a gnarled hand of branches and eyes, I didn't breathe. It was dark again, black. I closed my eyes and I could still see the figure in negative, a large animal a few yards away, eyes on me, unblinking. Now the hairs on my arms were slowly prickling, a slow, silent warning. Suddenly, all I could think about was that time when I was 11, sitting in the tire swing, reading, glancing up and seeing eyes, and then being dragged from my swing. Thunder deafening. I straightened to hear the sound of an approach. Lightning illuminated the world again. Two seconds of light. There they were. Eyes colorless as they reflected the lightning. A wolf three yards away. It was Shelby. The world went dark. I started to run. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And that is where we're leaving off the first episode. Think about how terrifying that would be. Oh, yeah. I, I can my pants e- all right. easily I mean, imagine. You're <laughs> naked. You wake up naked, covered in rain and dirt and just a thunderstorm is happening it goes against every human instinct you have because i mean even though thunder doesn't hurt you lightning does and wind does and Mm -hmm. trees and branches falling and me falling would be the main worry yeah (laughs) and now shelby's there and wanting to kill you Mm, shelby grace 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 what you gonna do what you gonna do (sighs) what you gonna do with all that now (laughs) First few chapters, I mean, there's a lot of stuff kind of happening, but like, there's not enough to really I comment. Yeah, it's going to a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, pick it. We left it a good part, I think. Yeah, that is all we got for today. We will continue with chapters 16 through 31. <laughs> we get a little bit wild, I yeah. think. Maybe I don't remember. More things happen in the than in this first part. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Let's Call It Nothing Pod, and we will see you next time. Bye. I need you to hold your mic closer so this can be a blooper reel, but. <laughs> My mic wasn't even on. <laughs> I hate you. I'm not here for your entertainment. <laughs>